0: Where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the Bets Sphere. I'm Tom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken.
1: Hi Jimmy! Howdy, Dom. And since this is episode 53, we're sort of kind of into our second year now of Mysterious yes. World, although technically our calendar date is like next week. Uh, yes. But in terms of episode count, happy second year.
0: <laughs> yes. Happy second year. The first of many, I, I hope. Yeah. So today we're talking about uh, this this very interesting mystery. In, in 1974, a family in Jacksonville, Florida, found a very strange object in the woods, which being Florida. There are probably strange objects
1: in the well, woods. <laughs> Florida man finds strange object in woods. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. totally can see that headline.
0: Yes. Uh, so in this case, the object was an eight inch metal sphere and the family was named Betts. No relation to me. <laughs>
1: right. That's not Betnelli.
0: Exactly. Uh, some people call us the, like my other podcast is Raising the bets. different Betts. Uh, it's B-E-T-Z. Consequently, it's become known as the Betts Sphere. At first, the family didn't think much of the object, but then it began to exhibit, of course, because it's a mystery, strange properties that no one could explain. And that came to the attention of the media, and that set off, of course, a media frenzy. And then respected scientists like J. Allen Hynek got involved. That name probably sounds familiar to you. We'll talk about that later. Some speculated that it might come from another world. One person even warned that tampering with the sphere might cause an atomic explosion. And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, before we get into the mystery, of course, we want to talk about this is a patrons episode, which means it was selected by our patrons.
1: Right. So uh, every month we let the patrons pick one of the topics that we're going to talk about. And this month they picked the bets sphere. And I was really glad they did, because this is a fascinating story. Not a lot of people know about this, but it's really weird. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So let's get into it then. Let's start
0: with the family that found the sphere. Uh, Who were the Betzes?
1: They were a financially secure, very respectable family. The mother of the family is a woman named Jerry, and she was an entrepreneur. She had like real estate and trucking companies that she ran. The dad in the family was a guy named Antoine, and he was a marine engineer. Uh, he would travel the world uh, on ships, uh, doing engineering tasks on the ships. The eldest son was, or at least the w- eldest one who's in the story, was named Terry. He was a 21-year-old med student. Uh, so he was studying to be a doctor back in 1974. And they also had five other kids.
0: So they're, they're not a typical, <laughs> t- typical or stereotypical, I might say family who lives in the woods and, you know, might be, you know, the, the, it, what's the term? I, I, it's it's a pejorative term, but like sort of redneck family who finds something unusual and tries to make a buck off of it. These are, as you said, a respectable, financially secure family. Right. They um,
1: basically I mean, they did live in the woods, but it was like on an island on a, in a mansion. Right. OK. Yeah. How did the Betzes find this sphere? So it was the second week of March in 74, and they were investigating a burned out brush fire on their property. It's not right by their house, but they owned a big plot of land uh, out in the woods. It was an 88 acre timber lot that they owned. And so it's like, you know, they're raising trees to be cut for timber. A brush fire breaks out. They didn't know what the cause was. Could have been lightning, could have been arson, but they were, it had burned out and they were checking it out, you know, to see how, how bad the damage was. And so they're a mile out in the woods. They are not near a road. There is a trail that goes out there, but it's full of stumps because it's a timber lot, you know, so there's st- tree stumps of trees that have been cut down for timber and there's no way to drive on this path. You have to walk out there. And as they're you know looking around, Terry, the med student, notices this sphere sitting there on the ground. It's not that big, but it's sitting on an unburnt patch of ground, a patch of grass. It's just sitting there on the grass. It is not embedded in the ground. It is not scorched. It's just a small silver sphere. And it looks kind of like Sputnik, except it doesn't have any antennas sticking off of it. It's just a sphere. But because it looked kind of like Sputnik, he wondered if it could be space junk. And in fact, he, he wondered, could could it, if it is space junk, could its reentry be? have caused the fire that, you know, burned up part of the timber lot. But he also wondered, could it be like a cannonball that someone has painted silver for some reason? So they didn't know what it was, but Terry decided to take it home. And that started the saga of the bet sphere.
0: If you find a big silver ball in the woods, of course you take it home. My kids would take it home.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what is what is the sphere
0: like physically? Could you describe it for us?
1: Yeah, you'll see somewhat different accounts of this, uh, but so far as I've been able to determine to determine the facts, it's just under 8 inches in diameter and it weighs about 21 pounds, which makes it heavier than a, than a bowling ball. Its surface has some scratches, but there is no seam. There is no weld, there is no plug hole, there is no fill point. The only marking on the surface of it, other than the scratches, is it does have an elongated three millimeter tri- triangular mark that's either stamped or carved in it. And it may be damaged, like something you know sort of punctured it at one point to make this little triangle mark. So they're not even clear, is that by design or is it an accident?
0: So they they pick up the sphere, they take it home. What happens there?
1: Terry put it on a window seat in his bedroom, and it would move around on the window seat Hmm. by itself. And you might think, oh, well, big deal. I mean, we have toy balls that will roll around by themselves. I mean, sometimes we use them for dog toys and stuff. I don't know how, how common those things were in 1974, They may or may not have existed, but rolling around on its own wasn't the only strange thing the Sphere started doing. Terry, like a lot of guys in the 1970s or for that matter today, played an electric guitar for fun, and he had a friend over a few days or weeks later, and he was playing his electric guitar for her, and he noticed the Sphere was buzzing. That it was vibrating, in his words, or in their, in the Betts family's words, it was vibrating like a tuning fork, and it seemed to be trying to play the same chord back, like it was imitating what he was doing on the electric guitar. But it wouldn't do it consistently; it would like do it sometimes, but not all the time. Also, they noticed that their pet poodle would whimper and cover its ears around the sphere. And they hadn't seen the poodle do that before. And that suggests the sphere was emitting some kind of ultrasonic frequency that dogs can hear, but humans can't. So here, uh, Terry decided to do some kind of homespun experiments on it. He got a hammer and would like tap it and the sphere and it produced a ringing sound. And that was only the beginning of the strange behaviors.
0: Well, these behaviors sound a lot like some science fiction I've seen, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where the mm-hmm. aliens would play back sound. And in fact, there's a new show on Netflix where there's an alien artifact. It's called uh, uh, Another Life. An alien artifact plays back music that they're playing, and it goes into the ultrasonic frequency. So uh-huh. it sounds like someone so- has been inspired by
1: the Sphere incident. Uh- Kind of like Close Encounters. Do 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 do. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, or, what... or pre- hopefully not inspired by Phantasm, which also has its own silver ball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Haven't seen it. Probably not my thing. Uh, not <laughs> Probably
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> so, what other strange behaviors did the sphere exhibit? So it would roll, stop, vibrate, and ch- change direction, and then return to you if you pushed it. So Ooh. it's like you, you push it, it rolls away, it stops, it vibrates, it changes direction, and then it comes back to you. At first, it only moved if you pushed it, but it would repeatedly come back to the same person who rolled it. Uh, on several, uh, over several days, it started rolling on its own, uh, so even if you didn't push it. Sometimes it rolled for five minutes. Sometimes it only rolled a little bit. Once it rolled for 12 minutes, they put it up on a glass top table. That they had. They had a circular glass top table, which Antoine had brought back from Japan. It's actually this remarkable, uh, gorgeous wood, wooden table, but it has a glass top. And Terry put it on the top of the table. And then he walked away and the ball started moving by itself on the table and it wouldn't drop off the surface. What it would do is go up to the edge of the glass kind of like it's peering over or something looking for a way back down to the ground but when it decides there's not one it 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 doesn't just roll off it goes back and stops in the center of the table also they tried tilting the table and this the sphere rolled up the the incline to try to avoid falling off if shaken this the sphere acted oddly according to Jerry and this is a quote from a newspaper at the time if you shake the ball vigorously and place it on the ground, it feels like a huge Mexican jumping bean, which is trying to get away from you. So it apparently didn't didn't like being shaken. They kept it in a bowling ball bag, but sometimes it would roll out of the bag on its own. It also exhibited magnetic properties. One spot in particular on the surface appeared magnetic. They could like stick a paperclip to that spot. And the longer the sphere moved the more magnetic it became. So they had like a mayonnaise jar lid, which would not stick. It was too heavy. It wouldn't stick to the magnetic spot at the beginning. But then after letting the sphere roll around for a while, the magnetism became so strong they could not pull the mayonnaise jar lid off. So it was a variable magnetic field. Also, the sphere sometimes made noises like a sonar ping. The family thought these were caused by smaller balls inside of it pinging the sides, So they, they deduced that the sphere is not solid, but there was no noise of liquid sloshing in it. It wasn't like, you know, there were marbles in it sloshing around in a liquid or something. So they thought whatever balls are in it are, seem to be floating and like occasionally pinging the sides. So maybe there's some kind of liquid or gas inside it that the balls inside are suspended in.
0: I understand also that, that there are other weird phenomena connected with the house in particular. What what were those?
1: Yeah, this sometimes gets mixed up with the story of the Bet sphere. It's actually a separate story because it occurred way before they found the sphere. But they heard organ music at night in their house, even though they didn't have an organ. Mm-hmm. And if you go outside the house, you didn't hear the organ music. It was just in the house. They would hear doors slamming. Uh, they would hear people walking and laughing in the house. Glasses crashed to the floor from cupboards. So, this is kind of like poltergeist or haunting like activity. It occurred when the family first moved into the house. And we should mention this is an old plantation area. So, you know, that could have something to do with this. Also, though, it, it was like five or six years before they found the ball. And so it it wasn't connected with the ball. It, that activity had stopped a long time ago. And also the ball's activity, the strange things the ball did were not tied to this location. They took the ball elsewhere and the ball did strange things elsewhere.
0: But some people might theorize that strange activities in a particular locale might be connected to.
1: You might think it's a haunted ball.
0: Right. Or right. Or that the ball is there somehow because of the. Well, we'll get into that. You so, could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So ab- about this time, this is about when the media got involved, right? How how did that happen? And and was it the Betzes
1: who reached out to the media? No, but there's information about that. There There is misinformation about that. There are a bunch of stories that say the Betzes contacted the media. They say they did not. According to the family, someone who knew them contacted the media, uh, but they did not. On April 9th, so this is just if like, three weeks after they found the Sphere, radio stations start calling the family for interviews. And then the Jacksonville Journal. So this is, you know, Jacksonville, go Jacksonville Jaguars. (laughs) This is where uh, this is where Jason Mendoza is from in a good place. (laughs) The Jacksonville Journal sent over a photographer named Lou Egner and the and it then published a story on the Sphere on April 12th nineteen seventy four. Could you read a bit to us from that story about what Lou Egner had to say? Okay.
0: I'm leery of this kind of thing, Egner said. When I got there, Mrs. Bet said, You won't believe this if you don't see it. She told me to put it on the floor and give it a push. It rolled away and stopped. So what? She said, just wait a minute. It turned by itself and rolled to the right about four feet. It stopped. Then it turned again and rolled to the left about eight feet made a big arc and came back right to my feet.
1: Yeah. So he pushes, (laughs) he pushes the thing. It rolls, it stops. Then it decides to go to the right for four feet. It stops again. It decides to go to the left for eight feet, and then it decides to make a big arc and come right back to the guy who pushed it. This is an outsider. This is not a member of the Betts family. He's a reporter. He's a a photographer for a paper. And he publishes this. And at this point, the story goes global. The family gets loads of interview requests. This is when the media firestorm really starts. The media family gets lots of interview requests. They're getting calls from all over the world. In fact, Antoine, the father at this point, is on his way to Japan on a ship, and he hears his wife being interviewed over the radio while he's out at sea. (laughs) They're getting constant phone calls. And this is the day before voicemail and before call waiting. So they frequently just had to take the phone off the hook, which is what you had to do back then if you didn't want to get calls. Their own family frequently could not get through because, uh, you know, it was back in the 70s. Everybody had like one phone in the house. That was it. And no voicemail, no call waiting. You either get through or you don't. And and they were getting so many calls frequently. Their own family couldn't get through. They got it. They got bags of mail of inquiries about the sphere. And the story got so big that some of the envelopes came to them with addresses just like family with the ball, U.S., (laughs) 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 and that would get to them. The post office knew, okay, in the United States, the family with the ball is right here, so let's send it there. Crazy people started coming out to the house and started camping on their lawn and would even, because, you know, it's out in the woods, and they would try to get into the house. Wow. Uh, So it was very unnerving for the family. So with all the press coverage,
0: apparently several pieces of misinformation got into circulation about the sphere. So what was this misinformation?
1: There's actually quite a bit of it and we won't be able to cover all of it here, but I'm basing what we're covering in this episode on recent interviews with a member of the Betts family. So this is the most accurate information available at present. It comes straight. You know, right from the family itself, and I've heard the recordings. We'll have a link in the show notes to where you can hear them if you want to go on a multi-hour BetSphere Odyssey that takes like ten hours to go all the way through. <laughs> but we have mentioned that some of the published details about the nature of the ball vary slightly. You know, like some accounts will say it weighs twenty-two pounds, others will say it weighs twenty-five. Uh, we mentioned the family says they did not contact the press, but you'll you'll see that out there. Also. You'll see accounts saying they tried to insure the sphere for money, you know, so in case anything happened to it. And they said, no, that never happened. Also, some accounts say that the sphere might be solar powered and that it was like more active on sunny days, you know, like it would move around more or something on sunny days. The family says, no, that's not the case. But that seems to be based on something that did happen. It didn't move around more, but one day they put it in the sun and it stayed hot for three days. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the ultimate hot bottle. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is kind of like, you know, Skinwalker. There's so much weirdness about this thing. It's kind of like Skinwalker Ranch in a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I'm going to use that in our
0: episode description. Skinwalker Ranch in a bowling ball. So, so what happened next in the, when, with the investigation into this sphere?
1: so they didn't know what it was. And they were concerned, you know, because there's military in the area, there's a naval air station nearby. And they thought, well, maybe it's some kind of military thing. And if so, you know, we want to give it back to the military. But if it's not the military, we want it back. And so on April 12th, they gave it temporarily to the Mayport Naval Air Station in Jacksonville. Jerry let them have it specifically on the condition that if it's not government property, we want it back. So she was very clear and upfront about that. You know, there was some concern, like, could this be a piece of ordinance or something? Yeah. Could it be an explosive? So they wanted the Navy to check it out. While in their while it was in their custody, the Navy wanted to x-ray it. And initially, they said it was too thick. the The metallic casing of the sphere was too thick to x-ray with the equipment that they had on hand. They said they needed a higher power x-ray machine to penetrate it, and they wanted to take it to Cape Canaveral to do that, but Jerry insisted that they brought that they bring it back, and so they did. Uh, they said, it's not ours. We don't know what this thing is. It's not an explosive, so they brought it back. A young enlisted man delivered it, and he brought along a folder of x-rays showing the interior of the ball, despite what they were told. Apparently, they had been able to x-ray it. Mm. And she and the family thinks that they were given these x-rays by mistake, like the young enlisted man, you know, just was told, go take this stuff. Not like he was really involved in the investigation. And so he took this stuff and happened to give him the x-rays by mistake. According to the x-rays that they saw, there were different grades of density to the shell around an interior hollow that is, so there is actually a hollow region down in there. And then there are different grades of density surrounding that hollow. The outer shell was half an inch thick or less. The Navy X-ray reveals that the internal shell is much denser than the stainless steel shell that is on the outside. So there's an inner shell that's even denser. The family thinks, as I mentioned, the family thinks it was a mistake that they got this. The hollow inside it is about the size of an orange. The whole thing is you know, about eight inches in diameter. The interior hollow is, I don't know, four or five inches. And then there are these gradations. And within the hollow, there are at least three balls floating inside. And Mm -hmm. they have little wires sticking out of them. Hmm. Just floating around little balls with wires sticking out of them. That's the only there's no like gears or things that you would expect to see in like a toy that rolls around on its own. So there is stuff in there, but it doesn't seem to be a machine of any type that like we're familiar with. Spectrograph identified the outer shell as stainless steel grade number 431 which is a uh, an actual steel grade. Uh, We'll have link to information about that. But that is not that information is not available in a publicly verifiable report. That's just like what they were told. And there's reason to doubt. Is it actually stainless steel grade number four thirty one? There is an uh, based on the investigation at this point, you know, Nobody knew how this thing was manufactured. There's no seam or fill point, which you would need to have if you're putting stuff inside a hollow sphere. The government said it's not our property. It's not an explosive, but we'd like to drill into it. (laughs) And Jerry said, no, you're not going to drill into it.
0: (laughs) So apart from the government, there are these other experts also want to get involved in the study of the sphere including there's three in particular. What can you tell us about these three?
1: Well, according to newspaper accounts, one of them was a guy named Dr. Carl Williston, although you will in some accounts see his name spelled differently, but it was apparently Williston. He was supposed to be associated with a place called the Omegas Minus One Institute in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But it's really hard to find information either about Dr. Williston or about the Omega Minus One Institute. It's like there's, there's there's almost nothing out there. So apparently if it existed, I mean, there's been some question, is this a real guy or is this a cover? But if it was real and it probably was, it was probably just one of these institutes that didn't last for very long and died out before the Internet age. So it doesn't have a big Internet footprint. He uh, apparently examined the sphere for at least six hours on April 13th, 1974, so that's the day after the Jacksonville Journal article appears. He said that it emitted, that the sphere emitted radio waves, and he confirmed that it had four magnetic poles, not the two that you would normally have, but four, which would make it a quadrupole, which is a real thing, that does exist. Also, the magnetic field fluctuated. And that, you know, went along with the family's claim that it would get more magnetic as it rolled. He also said, and I don't know how he knew this, but he apparently also said that it contained traces of an unknown element, making it slightly different than stainless steel. So not totally stainless steel grade number 431. He said there's something else in there in the outer casing, some other element. So it's not just this known grade of stainless steel. Okay. And then who was the second expert who examined it? Uh, It was a guy named James Harder, and he was an engineering professor, and he became a family friend for a number of years. He was also a UFO specialist. He was the research director for APRO, which was an organization that existed at the time that investigated UFOs, as the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization kind of uh, like an early version of MUFON. It's no longer around, but it was back in the 70s. He said that there are two internal balls inside of it. And I don't know how he knew this, but he said they were made up of a super heavy element with an atomic number higher than 140. Now, the highest naturally occurring element is uranium. It has an atomic number of 92. What the atomic number is, is the number of protons that an atom has. And that tells you what element it is. Every, every time you add a proton, it changes the element. You can go up and down in electrons, which changes the ion, or uh, neutrons, which changes the isotope. But it's the number of protons that determines the element. And so if you have 92 protons, that, makes, that gives you uranium, which is the highest naturally occurring element on Earth. Through various means, scientists have been able to add protons to existing elements and pump them up to being higher elements. So far, the highest one we've been able to manufacture on Earth is element 118, which recently was named uh, Organosone or organesson. That's still, though, like 22 protons below 140. And and this is allegedly higher than 140. And so this claim that it has this super heavy unknown element in it is what led to speculation that it might be a bomb or could cause an atomic explosion if you mess with it.
0: In all of those elements, like like the, the ones in the 100 teens, they, they only make they only exist for milliseconds and microseconds in
1: super colliders. Typically, but there is speculation that at some point, if you keep adding protons, you're going to hit what physicists call an island of stability, Uh, where they would have longer lifespans.
0: Okay. Okay. So then that's where they would speculate this. Okay. So and then we we said there were three uh, experts. Who is the final famous expert who examined it?
1: Uh, it was Jay Allen Hynek. He was an astronomer from Northwestern University in Chicago, and he's most famous for being a ufologist. Uh, he was initially an Air Force consultant on Project Blue Book, which was one of the Air Force studies of UFOs. It uh, was big in the 50s and 60s. And he gradually became convinced that there, even though he kind of started out as a debunker, he gradually became convinced that there was something to the UFO phenomenon, and he wanted to study it. So he, you know, learned about the sphere through the press and he he came out and visited more than once. He also became a a family friend for several years. The family thought he was very intelligent, but also eccentric. He initially had like wanted the family to send him the sphere to it, To Chicago so he could study it with the university's equipment. But Jerry said no. So about two or three months after the initial discovery, he came out, he brought his own equipment. He, with Jerry's permission, took some filings from the surface to analyze. And he said it contained, apparently he said, according to the family, that it contained an element with a high atomic number that was far higher than was known at the time. They also found him like examining it in the middle of the night. It, he couldn't sleep. He was so interested, I guess, and just stayed up all night, you know, running tests on it. And they got up in the middle of the night. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, I couldn't <laughs> sleep. So I'm studying this, the ball. But he he said he had no idea what the ball was, did not make any claims about, you know, about it one way or another, just did not know. By the end, Jerry was not entirely comfortable with Dr. Hynek. He would stay in touch with him. He'd send them letters, you know, over a number of years. but. Dr. Harder, the second expert we mentioned, had been talking to the family and saying, listen, you want to be kind of suspicious of of Heineck. I think he has an agenda of some kind. And so the family got a little suspicious of Heineck. Don't really know, you know what Harder was thinking, but they were kind of rival ufologists. So there could have been some professional rivalry there. It's not like You don't have rivalries with big egos in the UFO community. (laughs) So who knows what that was all about?
0: So then those are the individual experts. Uh, Apparently, some institutions also got involved in the investigation. What can you tell us about those?
1: Well, one is a group we don't really know much about, these strange tech people And we don't even know their name, but these strange tech people contacted the family and they flew into Jacksonville and they apparently had a lot of money because when a family member went and picked them up from the airport and took them to the house, they gave the family member a thousand dollar tip
0: in 1974, which was even
1: then was even more substantial than a thousand dollar tip. Yeah, right. They then sight unseen. They have not even seen the sphere. And they offer to pay Jerry $750,000 in cash for it, which would be about $3.8 million today. So they haven't even seen it, and they are willing to pay that much for it. Jerry gets nervous. She does not want to show it to him, so she doesn't. They also discovered that information they provided her about who they were was fake. It It seems to have been some kind of cover story. And the family wondered if they were foreign agents who maybe either knew what the sphere was or suspected what it was and wanted to get their hands on it for another government. All right. And then another institution? Yeah, not so much sinister as wacky. The um, (laughs) National Enquirer a newspaper mm-hmm. called The Family. So for people who are who are listening in other countries and may not be familiar with it, the National Enquirer is an American superma- supermarket tabloid. It's based right there in Florida, but it's sold all over the U.S. And especially back in the 70s, it had a reputation for really wacky, unbelievable stories. It's, it's often considered a joke, but occasionally the Enquirer, and it's actually gotten better over time, I gather. But it's gotten under the trail of real stories. For example, in 2007, they ran a story about former North Carolina senator and former vice presidential candidate John Edwards, who had an affair with a film producer named Riley Hunter and had a child with her. And Edwards vigorously denied that. He had a cover story about, no, 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 this other guy connected with my campaign is the father. But the Inquirer got on the story and blew the whistle on it when the mainstream press didn't want to cover it. And it was later proved true. So, Hmm. you know, not everything the Inquirer does is is shady nonsense. In the 1970s, the Inquirer had like a $50,000 prize for producing for proving the existence of extraterrestrial life and later they they jacked that up to a million dollar prize but at the time in, it, it was like it was like 50,000 and they never paid it out but every year they would have this blue ribbon panel of experts including people like Jay Allen Hynek, James Harder, Leo Sprinkle and other famous ufologists who would like judge the best ufo cases of that year. They also would paid several thousand dollars to those who provided the best evidence of the year. And they promised the way they attracted these scientists was they promised money for uh, further UFO research. So they said, look, if you'll come serve on our blue ribbon panel, we'll give money to further UFO research. Heineck eventually dropped out after he became convinced the Inquirer was not serious about funding actual research.
0: The Inquirer was not serious. So what big what, surprise? yeah. Yes. So uh, what happened with the National Enquirer contest? Did, did did they give out the
1: the prize money? So Terry flew with the Sphere to the Enquirer headquarters there in Florida, and uh, it appears, according to the family, that the Sphere seems to have interfered with the plane during the flight. You know he how they put in an airplane into, mode? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, they, you know, how, how you it, you know, electronic devices can mess with like plain common navigation systems. And apparently the sphere did that. Yep. So uh, it was suggested later on that if you're going to fly this thing, maybe you want to put it in a Faraday cage to uh, block any emissions that it has. When they got it to the Inquirer headquarters, they filmed it rolling up a piece of plexiglass from a dead standstill and then back down the plexiglass. And then something really weird happens. Yeah, it's something sinister, apparently. What was that? At the National Enquirer headquarters, Terry was told that his mother, Jerry, had an accident and he needed to go home. And he tried to call, but he couldn't get through on the phone. And he thought weirdos may, you know, because they had all these weirdos camping out and trying to get into the house. He thought maybe they've hurt mom. So he flies back and Jerry picks him up at the airport and says, What are you doing here? And he says, well, I was told you're hurt. There's been an accident. She says, no, I'm not. Nothing's happened. And so she t- she thinks, OK, someone's trying to get the sphere. Because he flew back without the sphere. Without the sphere. Yeah. Ah. And she thinks this is all a story to get him away from the sphere. So she says, go back immediately and get the ball. And so Terry flies back. And meanwhile, she has two of the daughters get in a car and drive down as well. Now, it turns out at this by this point, and they did apparently have a confrontation in the offices of the National Enquirer where the Enquirer wasn't forthcoming in giving them the the sphere back. It's like, why don't you trust us? You know, I mean, oh, we don't need to show it to you right now. Of course, we're going to give it back to you at some unspecified point in the future. But apparently by this point, the ball had been taken to the blue ribbon panel that was meeting in New Orleans. And so Terry went there and he tried to get the sphere and it was being guarded by like some Navy people who wouldn't let him near it. They said there are tests going on, so you can't get near the sphere. The panel, incidentally, did not arrive at any conclusions one way or another regarding what the ball was. They So their results were inconclusive. But Terry was able to get the the ball back because a bunch of reporters said, hey, can we get can we see the ball do something interesting? And Terry said, sure. So he walks right up to the ball (laughs) and takes it and walks out with it before anybody can stop him under the pretext of showing the reporters something interesting. He then gets in a car with his sisters and drives off. And the family says that apparently people tried to intercept him at the airport, but he didn't go to the airport. He and his sisters just drove back. But when they got back, there was a surprise because now the ball doesn't exhibit all of the same behaviors. It's like it's broken or something. It won't roll. It is still magnetic. And according to one account, it had it was measured as having three magnetic poles, one north pole and two south poles in a kind of lopsided Y shape. That's really unusual, but it's not impossible. Also, later stories or later discussion was connected with the fact that the magnetic field it would display was variable, and normally... You know, if something's a variable magnetic field, it has a power source. Something is generating the power to strengthen the field. That's how electromagnets work. But there was no evident power source in the thing. Jerry paid for new x-rays herself, and they found some differences. According to the new x-rays, the sphere now had a seam that it didn't have before, like where you would weld two halves of a hollow sphere together the interior also looks different and the family thinks the sphere may have been replaced
0: so at this point the or or soon after apparently the family decides to go quiet and remove themselves from the public uh,
1: eye why why did they do that why did that happen well there are a bunch of reasons and one of them is jerry was physically attacked at the house The family doesn't know that this had anything to do with the sphere, but it happened when the whole sphere thing was going on. There were some guys that came out to work on their septic tank, and while she was talking to her son-in-law, who's a policeman, on the phone, one of the men grabbed her from behind by the neck, and she then screamed into the phone, telling her policeman son-in-law what's happening and that she's being attacked and that caused the septic tank guys to flee now because of the remoteless remoteness of the location where the house is and the fact there's not a lot of roads going in and out they caught the guys but and charges were filed but this was a kind of he said she said situation there's no physical proof of what happened and also we're dealing with the crazy ball family <laughs> right so one of them got out on bail and then went on the lam and just disappeared and it was like too minor an issue He never got tracked down. The other, it's a little unclear what happened to him. He may have gotten off with probation. We're not real sure about that. And the family doesn't even know, as I said, is this related to the sphere or not. But Jerry freaked out when she got the new x-rays of the sphere and they were different. And she thought this could be a real problem. So she actually burned those x-rays. They don't exist anymore. The good news is one of the original Navy x-rays does. And we'll, Mm. we'll have a link to that later. Also, there were these creepy government types that were, you know, talking to the family. Dr. Harder was warning them to be careful because uh, the family became suspicious that somehow Hynek was involved with whatever happened to the ball and why it stopped working. Uh, They had weirdos breaking into their house. They got tired of the press coverage, including all of the inaccurate stuff like family says the ball is alien. When the family didn't say anything like that, they didn't know what the ball was. They also claimed to discover that their phones were tapped. And so they decided, we've had enough of this. We want to get out of the limelight. We want to just go back to being a family and doing our thing. And so they went quiet. And that's why this story isn't more more famous than it is. That's why most people don't know about it, because it was only on the radar for a few months back in 74. The family has not, with one exception really subsequently given interviews, and they haven't published a book, they haven't made a movie, they just wanted out of this.
0: So where is the sphere today?
1: Okay, so...
0: <laughs> That's not a simple uh, question, apparently. It's not <laughs> as
1: simple as you might think. So remember how the family thought Hynek may have had something to do with what happened to the sphere? Well, Heinick's uh, passed on now, but he has an adult son named Paul. And in a published article, Paul Hynek said that his family at their home, I guess, had a big silver sphere that was from a famous UFO case in Florida. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> and, and they would kick it around because they didn't know what it was. <laughs> and wow. And so the Betts family was really shocked to hear this. And they'd never heard this before, and they wondered, you know, could this be the original sphere, the one that heine 's family had, or because they don 't know that it was, maybe it was a duplicate sphere that Heine made, or maybe it was something unrelated but there 's a possibility that the original bet sphere ended up at the Heineck house. On the other hand, the Betts family had a sphere, whether it was the original one or a replacement, and they have entrusted it to a third party who's not a family member for safekeeping. They've said they're not opposed to it being produced and studied more in the future, but they have no plans to do that at present because they've achieved normalcy in the family and in particular Jerry who's still alive she's elderly but uh she's still alive and and still apparently really sharp mentally she has no interest in revisiting this so it you know it out of respect her kids may not pressure her to do that but you know one day we may get more information about the sphere
0: okay so that's the background the all the what we know
1: about this uh, what are the theories about what the sphere is In terms of relatively mundane theories, it was proposed that it's a piece of industrial equipment. Uh, Some people have said that it may be what's called a pig. A pig is a sphere that they roll through industrial pipes to clean them. And since this sphere is just under eight inches in size, you could use it to clean an eight-inch industrial pipe. Also, it's been proposed it's a ball valve, which is a kind of emergency pipe stopper to clog up a pipe deliberately so stuff can't float through it, flow through it. Or it's been proposed, it's what's called a ball mill, which is something you use to crush rocks if you're milling rocks to make them smaller. Then uh, there was the initial thought, maybe it's a satellite, or if it's not a satellite, maybe it's some other piece of space equipment like a bladder tank for a spacecraft. Then there are proposals that are a little bit more exotic, like um, it's some classified thing. Proposals include it's a submarine navigation marker that you would have on the floor of the ocean to help submarines navigate. It's a dummy warhead or a component of a warhead for a Merv missile. That's a multiple independently targetable reentry vehicle. The, the top of an ICBM. The, basically, yes. Yeah. Then maybe it's an inertial navigation system. Because it seems to, you know, it can move around and wobble on its own. Maybe it's like a got gyroscopes or something. Maybe it's something that's from a spy plane or a missile, or it's even been proposed. Maybe it's a railgun projectile or it's been proposed. It's part of a larger machine. It's not itself a complete machine, but it's maybe part of a larger one that's meant to help with uh, inertial guidance or something. Then there are really exotic proposals like it's an alien artifact, or, you know, here, here, since we can't really distinguish aliens from other options, maybe it's from a lost civilization, or maybe it's from another time or another dimension, or some kind of similarly exotic thing, which we'll just lump under the head alien. Okay. Uh, Finally, it's a haunted ball. (laughs) You know, there's a ghost or a demon or something that made it do what it did. Okay. So those are our theories.
0: Let's talk about this from the faith perspective. What can we say about the ball from the faith perspective?
1: Unless the ball is haunted, it doesn't have any faith significance, while it it would just be some exotic machine. Uh, while there was reported supernatural phenomena in the house, or were, I should say, it, it was like five to six years earlier and had stopped. Also, the ball didn't just do things in the formerly haunted house. It did things way, way, way away from them, you know, hundreds of miles away, like in New Orleans. And so we really don't have good evidence that the ball is haunted. It it seems to just be a machine. All right. So then from the reason perspective, what can we say about the sphere? Let's look at the industrial equipment theories. The first one was that it, it's a ball valve and or one of them is that it's a ball valve. And there's a little bit of evidence to support this. There was a sculptor named James Derling Jones from Taos, New Mexico. And three years earlier, I guess in 1971, he was driving a VW microbus in Florida, and he had a bunch of ball valves on the roof of his microbus that um, he was taken back to New Mexico to use for an art project. He's an artist. And he didn't initially come forward when the story broke because he had acquired these ball valves from a friend who had got them illegally from a company. So they were like, maybe, one theory is that they were just stolen, but another theory is like, maybe they were defective, they were going to be thrown away anyway. And so his friend said, well, I'm not really authorized, but we're gonna let the we're gonna throw these away anyway. So why don't you have them for your art project? And he claimed one of them fell off, and that's the bet sphere. So that's a little bit of evidence as a possibility, but there are some problems with that account. Uh, number one, if this thing is a ball valve, how did it get out into the woods where there is no drivable road? There is only a path filled with stumps in this timber lot. Also, the bet sphere seems to be too big and weighs too much to be one of these ball valves. It, apparently, normal ones only weigh like five to seven pounds, and the bet sphere is 21 pounds. Also, ball valves have seams, and the bet sphere didn't. Then there are some problems for any of the industrial equipment theories, not just the ball valve theories, but the other ones too. Number one, the Betts family checked with local industry. There is a paper mill nearby, and that's basically the only industry that was there at the time. They went to the paper mill and said, could this be something of yours? And they said, no, it it's not. Uh, we don't know what this is. A lot of the people who have been claiming these natural explanations for what the or, you know, industrial explanations for what the sphere is are really just speculating based on appearance and weight. Pigs, ball valves and ball mills do not move on their own. So if this thing moved on its own, it's not one of those because they don't do that. Now, you could say, well, the family is doing a hoax here. They were just deliberately lying, except the behavior was witnessed by others including that reporter who came out and did the first published, you know, press story on it. Now, some people have said, well, okay, Maybe it could be a piece of industrial equipment and it's odd rolling behavior could be explained by the fact the house has an uneven stone floor. So maybe it's like the cracks and the unevenness in the stones cause the rolling. Well, that's not really plausible if it keeps coming back to the same person. Right. Um, But it's also really not plausible if it's doing this, what they said, up on a smooth glass table. Or on a piece of plexiglass at, at the National Enquirer headquarters, because those aren't uneven stone surfaces. Finally, n- if this was just a piece of industrial equipment, why has nobody produced an exemplar? I mean, there's, it's not going to be a one-of-a-kind piece of industrial equipment. There's going to be other copies of this thing. Why has nobody found one? And so it, it seems like the most mundane explanations have significant problems. So does the satellite, ex- the satellite proposal, though. Satellites have attachments, you know, like Sputnik had antennas. They're not just spheres. They may be spheres, but they're not just spheres. This didn't have attachments or slots for attachments or stumps of attachments. So it's not a plausible human made satellite. Also, it didn't have a crater on the ground. It was just sitting there on the grass. It wouldn't be a bladder tank for a spacecraft because they're, number one, it's really small, but also there are no openings. If you've got a tank, you want it to have openings so you can get <laughs> fuel or whatever <laughs> in and out of it. Right. And this didn't have any openings, so it's not a tank. Then there are the ideas it could be a classified thing like a submarine navigation marker and that's speculative. We don't know if submarine navigation markers even look like this. But even if they did, you don't want your markers moving around on their own. <laughs> right. The purpose is to sit there. In terms of it being a dummy warhead or a component of a warhead for a Merv, that doesn't explain all of its behavior. In terms of it being an inertial navigation system, its insides in the x-rays are too simple looking for it to be any kind of normal device that we would know how to make it could be part of a larger machine but if so nobody's figured out what it was of course the military said it wasn't theirs now compartmentalization could result in it being theirs and them not realizing it if it's part of some super secret thing but but no but it, it's been you know almost not quite but it's almost 50 years it's been uh, 45 years and we haven't seen anything similar to this come out of, you know, declassified programs. So, and,
0: and how would it be sitting in the middle of the woods?
1: Yeah. How did it get there? <laughs> right. So that leaves us with the really exotic ones, like it's an alien or lost civilization slash time travel slash other dimension artifact. Well, OK, if you wanted to explore that, the reports of it having super heavy elements would heavily point in that direction, because we cannot on Earth make anything heavier than 118 at the moment. And if this has something upwards of 140, we did not make this. But the accounts of the super heavy elements are anecdotal. Since we don't have the sphere, we don't have good studies of that that show that and prove it. So that th- those reports could just be mistaken.
0: So, all right. So that's the reason perspective, and we've had our faith perspective. So, Jimmy, what is your bottom line
1: on the Bet Sphere? My bottom line on the Bet Sphere is I have absolutely no idea what <laughs> this thing is, mm. and I, I hope that one day the family chooses to allow it to be studied again. I hope that maybe if uh, if the Heineck family has something similar, even if it's just a a, a mock up, a duplicate. That they let that be studied because I would love love to know what this thing is, even if it has a totally mundane explanation. I've got no idea, and I would love to know. I think someone should hit it with some holy water too, just see what happens. (laughs) That would not be not be a a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, it was interesting. I, I, I I don't know if
0: if I prefer the ones where you have a definite bottom line. Or the ones where you say you have no idea. I'm not sure which I like better, but I think I like the ones where you have no idea because that's just this that's the mystery. That's mysterious. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy, what's the, our further resources if people want to find out more about the Bet Sphere?
1: Okay, so we're gonna have an overview links. These are all links. We're gonna have an overview of the Bet Sphere from mysteriousuniverse.org. This was published about seven years ago, and so it has some misinformation in it that the family has subsequently corrected, but it's still a good overview. Also, another podcast, Astonishing Legends, did a four part series on the Bet Sphere. And at Astonishing Legends, they do really deep dives. So, all four parts make up a 10 hour listening odyssey. So, if wow. you want to hear 10 hours about the Bet Sphere, check out the link. We'll have a link to the first of their Bet Sphere episodes. And they're the series that has the interviews with one of the family members. So there's a lot of good information in there, but there's also just a lot of information in there. (laughs) I've been through that series a couple times. So uh, if you're up for the experience, check it out. Also, and because they were able to the guys at Astonishing Legends were able to form and I, you know, they're good guys. They really try to be balanced like we are here on Mysterious World. They set up a they got a, a really good rapport. With the Betts family going, which is why the family was willing to answer questions for them, kind of like as, okay, after all these years, we're going to clear up the misinformation and then we're going to be done with this. But they also gave them a bunch of photographs. So you can like see photographs of the glass top table and of the house and things like that. And they have a photograph of one of the Navy X-rays, along with some analysis by a radiologist. And what you can and can't learn from this image based on modern radiology, and so we 'll have a link to that uh, we'll also have links to original news stories from nineteen seventy four on the bet sphere, including the very first one from april April twelfth we'll have information on stainless steel grade number four thirty one we'll have a, a treatment of the sphere from skeptoid, which is you know as its name suggests a kind of skeptical outlet. And then we'll have an article on multipole magnets, since uh, people may not be familiar with those, since it was claimed that there was a kind of multipole magnet phenomenon with the sphere.
0: All right. Very good. So that's the, the best sphere. Uh, this week, we have some uh, mysterious feedback. We would love to we love to hear from our audience. And uh, so we have some feedback and we have some audio feedback to start things off. And I just want to say, if you if you ever want to uh, have your voice on the show, please do send us some audio feedback. Uh, like uh, like this listener did. Um, you can email yeah. it to us, and I'll have the email links at the end. But uh, in, in, in
1: fact, if you take the trouble to do audio feedback, that's like go to the head of the feedback list. <laughs>
2: yes, in general, yes. So uh, let me let me play the feedback from listener Tom. Hi, Jimmy and Dom. My name's Tom, and I've recently become an SQPN patron. I'm all town near Leeds in West Yorkshire, England. I love Serious World podcasts and listen to them in the car on the way to work. I only found them a few ago, so I've been slowly working my way through them, starting with the ones that interest me most. Towards the last few, it never surprised me how much I enjoyed them, including the ones I thought I wasn't interested in. I think this is down to Jimmy's thorough research of the subject matter. Jimmy is never afraid to say he doesn't know some rare occasion that happens, which for me gives him the credit to talk about the things he does know. I also really appreciate Dom's input in being the advocate of us that are struggling to make sense of the wealth of information Jimmy provides. Dom has a humility about him that is heartwarming, and I can tell Thanks, Dom for this too by the way he bounces off the things Dom said. My favourite episodes of Mysterious Worlds up to now have been the Diatlov Pass and Skimwash, both of which I had never even heard of before the shows. I've also enjoyed the other podcasts that cover the next generation, which I've been a fan of since there are so many subjects I'd love to hear covered on future episodes, but my list would be the evidence of alien abduction abruptly stopping if the would be victims speak Jesus' name or start praying the Hail Mary. I'd also love to hear you discuss flat earth, of which I'm a sceptic, as well as the Black to Light, and of course whether night was a conspiracy. In terms of your pop culture series, please, please, please cover Rick and Morty. I know they are far from family friendly and can be times, but I find their treatment of science fascinating and hilarious. My favorite episodes are the one where they're stuck in the house with the alien parasites, and also the Mr. Meeseeks episode. So thanks to both of you guys, and Jimmy. I recently converted to Catholicism as I was baptized Anglican and have been a lukewarm Christian until my conversion. Jimmy, you were the single biggest influence in that transfer me and I learned so much from Catholic Answers. Thank you both so much. Keep up the good work and God bless.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. We really appreciate it. It's my my honor to have played a role in your journey. In terms of the topics you mentioned for upcoming episodes, we're going to do all of those. Uh, Those have been on the list for a long time. It's just a question of getting the, you know, getting the time to do them. Uh, But we're definitely heading to do them. One thing I'd mention up front in terms of the because this is other people have raised this issue too. there. There are these claims that like if you're being abducted by aliens and you invoke Jesus's name or start praying the Hail Mary that that it'll it'll cause the abduction to stop, and there are reports of that, and that would suggest if the reports are accurate, uh, that would suggest that those aliens at least are either demons or in league with demons. But I'm I, you know the whole abduction thing is fraught with a lot of rumors, and so. I don't know if this is like Christian wishful thinking of, oh, well, I bet they're demons. And if that's the case, then invoking Jesus name will scare them off. And then that gets translated into, oh, yeah, that happened to a friend of a friend. So I don't know if that's the case. I also have heard reports of when you do that, the aliens don't have any reaction. You know, that's something I'm still looking into, and we'll talk about it more in the future. In terms of the pop culture podcasts, uh, you know, uh, Dom is in charge of secrets of <laughs> movies and TV. So it's up to him if they're going to be able to cover Rick and Morty. I've, you're right. It's, it can be very funny. Uh, I checked it out uh, because it, it's, produced by Dan Harmon and Dan Harmon. He's one of the producers and Dan Harmon produced a show that also is not entirely family friendly, but is more family family friendly called community. And I really liked community. And so I checked out Rick and Morty. I I don't know that I've seen the alien parasites in the house episode. I did see the Mr. Me seeks episode and it was funny, but as you say this, it's not always family friendly.
0: Uh, as for, yeah, for, from my point of view, a lot of the times there's, we'd love to cover things. Uh, it requires us to have a panel of people who are interested in doing, a, yeah, doing yeah. that particular subject. So, uh, you know, always possible, uh, but uh, it, it as we grow uh, and as um, hopefully we're, we, we grow, um, those possibilities become more likely. So, we, if as we get more patrons, as you said, you had become, thank you, Tom. Uh yes. those those things become more possible. So, uh,
1: so Jimmy, what other feedback do we have? Well, um, we have some feedback from our episode on the Voynich manuscript. Uh, one of them is uh, by email from a guy named Peter. OK,
0: uh, right. So uh, and like I, again, I want to say we had a lot of feedback on the Voynich oh, yeah. manuscript and we could only have just a few here. So we'll take some representative ones. Let me read Peter's email. It says uh, Peter said very interesting program. I have to say, I think the most reasonable explanation would be that it was written for a coven of witches. The focus on herbs, astrology, and women, especially unattractive women, makes sense in such a setting. I can well imagine they might have their own language as a form of secrecy, and it would make sense that the Jesuits might have an interest in it as a means to better understand these people so that they might better evangelize them.
1: And uh, that's all possible. I would note that witches aren't necessarily unattractive. And so um, that's kind of a modern stereotype, but uh, or a stereotype in any event. It's uh, and it's not an implausible theory. On the other hand, it may not be like a coven of witches. It may just be a magical medical text because attitudes towards magic in the 1400s were different than they are now. It wasn't automatically assumed that magic was illicit the way it is now if it was if it was pagan magic yeah that was going to be illicit but a lot of things that today we would consider magical were really blended with science and medicine at the time like alchemy and it wasn't considered automatically bad so it may not have been covert for that reason it may have been covert just in a in a covert language just for proprietary reasons we don't want everybody knowing the secrets of the guild
0: Right. It's like the uh, KFC secret recipe, our intellectual property, so to speak. So uh, Brooke uh, sent this message on Facebook. She said, my thought had been that it's some sort of magical text with obviously a medical slash gynecological bent. I remember reading about late medieval interest in magic and how it was dealt with legally in one of my grad school classes. Some, though definitely not all, of the witchcraft hysteria of the early modern period, had its roots in real concerns about a clerical underworld that was developing in the 15th century. Some of the texts we do have are a bit disturbing with magical attempts at rape and murder. It doesn't strike me as implausible that a text that contained illicit material would be intentionally written in a constructed language by a small group of interested individuals, especially if they were worried about church or state authorities inquiring into their activities.
1: Yep. And again, I think that's uh, possible as well. Fortunately, magical attempts at rape and murder tend not to work because magic tends not to work. We're going to have a future episode on the um, harem assassination conspiracy back in ancient Egypt, where they used magic. The king's own wives in uh, his harem tried to use magic to kill him. And it wasn't entirely successful for them.
0: <laughs> that seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. And our next feedback comes from Father John Brown, SJ, on YouTube. SJ stands for Society of Jesus, for Jesuits. Uh, and he says, I think it could be one of the lost languages from the Americas, written by a very early missionary who had to make up an alphabet to write it down. Languages from the Americas would have seemed very alien phonetically. It would explain the strange plants of the author slash translator, would not have seen them firsthand or only dry, etc. I imagine missionaries eager to catalog what they could, hoping to understand it
1: more later. Time frame might be a stretch, though. Yeah, so this is a fascinating theory. It, you know, we do, there were a lot of languages that, you know, were not well documented that did have actually, in some cases, their own form of writing in the New World. And we have some, a very few, surviving records of these, like the Popol Vuh, which helped us decode like Mayan, Mayan glyphs. But you're right. The time frame since the vellum on which the uh, the parchment on which the Voynich manuscript is written dates from the mid 1400s, it would have had to sit around for quite a number of decades before it could have had new world based information recorded on it. So you'd have a big, expensive financial resource and all this vellum uh, sitting around for just decades not being used. But it's still a fascinating theory. Patrick writes on uh, Facebook, I learned a
0: lot more from this video than magazine articles I've read on it. Jimmy approaches this subject without an ideological axe to grind.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's one thing I really try to do in every episode is, you know, forget my prior opinions, just put them to one side and say, let's look at the evidence and where does it go? So, uh then, Jimmy, what do we have
0: for mysterious headlines this week?
1: Well, since we just talked about the Voynich manuscript, I thought I would include an article that argues that the Voynich manuscript is a hoax. That's one of the theories we talked about last time when we when we covered the Voynich manuscript it and there are actually problems with it that we pointed out with the hoax theory. But here's an I want to give everyone their their fair shake. So here's an article arguing it's a hoax. And speaking of hoaxes, there are a lot of people who think the footage of the moon landing in 1969, 50 years ago this summer, uh, was fake. But here's an article on why the landing footage would have been impossible to fake. So uh, and yes, we will have a future episode on the moon landing. And was it was a <laughs> hoax.
0: Okay, and the links to those headlines will be in uh, the show notes today. Uh, In just a minute, I'll ask Jimmy what our next episode is going to be about. But first, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including this week, Philip C., Father Terrence, Anusha M., Nate F., and Mardell B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash
1: give. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be? Our next episode will be the Manson family murders. It's the 50th anniversary of those. And so that's what we're going to be talking about.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, that's it from us. Uh, What did you think of the Bet Sphere? Had you heard of it before? What's your theory? What do you think it is? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page and leave us a comment there, or you can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com, or you can send us a tweet to our Twitter account at mys underscore world and use the hashtag mysteriousfeedback, all one word. Uh, remember to like the episode, uh, that we post on jimmy yakin's mysterious world on facebook and retweet it on twitter that helps us get the word out about the show and about these episodes and these stories yeah you can find links to all of the resources jimmy mentioned from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious until next time jimmy yakin thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world thanks tom and once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest.